We just started this, but I'm sure for many of you, a nine-week-long series, you're kind of like, wow, can we move on to something else? But uh, I've really enjoyed it and uh, enjoyed getting to hear a lot of your stories about it. And so next week, we're actually going to finish out the series by forming the whole service next week around the two points of communion, the bread and the cup. And we'll all take communion and observe the Lord's Supper next week together and build our whole worship time around that and share some of the lessons that we've learned uh, with you and uh, some of the things that you've been writing down and talking about and talking about called out companions and lifelines from heaven and all different kinds of stuff like that. So we'll take the time to do that next week, build the whole service around that next week. And uh, I'll be your facilitator and pastor here and Pastor Sean will be over at the other campus. But today we're going to focus in on this question of who's paying the tab for the trip. And, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, my oldest brother, I'm the youngest of five, my oldest brother had gone off to the Air Force, and he spent about his last two years in the Air Force uh, working in, in, uh, in Britain, along with the Royal Air Force, for two years. And he came back, and he learned a lot of different things in the Air Force that, uh, as a young teenager, I wanted to know about. I mean, I wanted to wear his uniform, I wanted to wear his stripes, I, I wanted his clothes, I wanted to hear his stories of when he got to go up to Scotland and, and down to... Uh, down to Italy and stuff on, on leave and things like that. But one of the things that I really liked that he learned, he learned this phrase that we didn't use in our home growing up, but I've heard a lot of other homes do it. He would say this, if you will fly, I'll buy. Which meant, hey, little brother, if you'll pedal the bike or walk to the store or get dad to give you the keys to the car and you'll go to the pizza shop, I'll buy. I'll pay for whatever we get. I'll pay for the pizza at Gus's Pizza in Lewistown, I'll, I'll pay for the hoagies at the South Side Hoagie Shop. You know, I'll, I'll pay for uh, the treats or whatever you get, the soda and chips and stuff down at Mr. Actually, he was Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson's store down at the end, end of the block. And uh, so I, I, I like that. You know, I knew that whenever he said that, if you will fly, I'll buy, that the tab, he was paying the tab. It was on him. And I kind of liked that. And so I would go on a road trips of sorts to go off to get whatever we needed to eat and come back. But when it comes to our road trip with Jesus Christ, the truth is that we don't pay the tab. Jesus paid the tab. He paid it all. And everything that we own and that we have and our very existence and the fact that we could get up and live and move and have our, have our being this morning is based on the fact that Jesus paid it all. And, and uh, so our response to him, our response is to become generous like him, to emulate a generous God who is generous to us. And so when it comes to our road trip, we're kind of, we're growing in this whole area of what's called in Scripture, they call it, they use this term, the grace of giving. That you grow in the grace of giving. You grow up. Just like you grow in learning how to study the Bible and apply it to your life. Just as you learn how to pray and then follow and let God inform your prayer life. Just as you learn how to serve in the body of Christ and learn how you're crafted and made to do gifts of service, and you grow in that. Just as you learn then later on how you're spiritually gifted, and just as you learn how to share your story and invite other people to experience Jesus and taste and see that he's good, just as you grow incrementally in those, you need to keep growing in the grace of giving. It's a growth process. It's not achieved just overnight, there, but there's commitments, and there's steps, and there's growth along the way. Because we're not just discovering the life-changing journey. Once we come to Christ, we're developing in the life-changing journey, this development before God. And so I want to talk to you this morning about some things that we see in the early church and what informed them, what impressed them 
what worked in their life so that they were generous givers like God. And uh, the main passage we're going to look at is Acts uh, 4, 32 through 35. And I just want to read it to you right now. I ask if you just sit there and kind of take in this picture of the early church. It says, All the believers were united in heart and in mind, and they felt that what that they had owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and to give to all of those who were in need. Listen to this phrase again. All the believers were united in heart and in mind. What that must have looked like to be united in heart and mind. And I have to ask myself, what precipitated that? What were they united over? What was the motivation? What was the fire that burned within that was common to all of them, that united them in heart and in mind and in soul? I think it was as easy as this. It was God's amazing grace. They had all experienced amazing grace. They had all been saved by the cross. Just about every last one of them was Jewish in background and had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. They had come because Pentecost was celebrating when Yahweh delivered his people in the Exodus experience. And so they all came there for that. But when they got there, there was 120 in the upper room praying who had found out that Yahweh had sent his only begotten son, Jesus. And that Jesus was now paving and paying the way out of the wilderness and into a new life through amazing grace, through the power of the cross and the empty tomb. And so there's 3,000 of them. And every day, more are being added to the family. Why? Because amazing grace is contagious. Amazing grace is contagious. And this morning, I just want you to sit here because this song and the words of the song, the intent of the writer of this song come from scripture and it's my intent today that the message that you take in from God's word has this song as its back bed as we sit this morning let's take in let's experience let's let let's let our souls soak in God's amazing grace Say yeah. 
these words with us. generous with our time, our talent, our treasure, all the resources, and all the people that you've entrusted to us. So Lord, today as we learn from your word, help us to be like spiritual sponges, soaking in your amazing grace, and letting it be wrung out of us, hour by hour, moment by moment, day by day, and keep coming back to you for blessings and fillings of amazing grace. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. So today we're going to look predominantly at this passage in, uh, from Acts chapter 4. And I just have two points this morning. The first one is, God's generosity influences us. Because in order for us to be generous, we have to first look at what's the source of generosity. And it's God's generosity. But God's generosity is something that influenced the early church. They realized somehow that they were bought with a price, a great price, and that they were priceless to God, that he had laid it all out for them, that he'd come down, that Yahweh didn't stay at a distance in the Exodus experience, but then came down to the cross, and he fulfilled the Exodus experience when he paid the price to atone for the sin of all mankind, each of us, but all of us, the cross 
and then rose again to seal it, having power over Satan, death, and hell through the power of the cross. And so somehow they just knew that. Somehow that welled up in them. Somehow they totally and completely knew that all who that they were and all that they had belonged to God. Somehow they just knew that. Listen to this description about how they reflected God as the owner and them as managers. It says that they felt that what they owned was not their own. That they felt that what they owned was not their own. And so they shared everything that they had. Let's say this out loud together, that they felt that what they owned was not their own. They felt that what they owned was not their own. I beat you to the punch in the first part of it. Let's do it one more time. They felt that what they owned was not their own. That description there is not of people who went through a DVD lesson and a workbook and at the end of the time figured out, oh, it's not mine. No, they had just experienced amazing grace. And it welled up in them into eternal life. And so they realized, wow, all that I am and all I have doesn't belong to me. I'm just God's caretaker of it. Not only did they believe that God owned it all, but their lifestyle reflected it. They couldn't just experience it from God and be influenced by it. They wanted to express it. Listen to this next description of them. It says that there were no needy people among them because those who owned houses or land would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now, I don't know how long this radical surrender kept up in the early church. I do know that a little bit later on in Acts, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira who try to come in and lie about what they were going to give to God, and they drop dead. Do you remember that one? And they drag them out. I was going to preach a sermon on that called Drop Dead Giving. How about that? (laughs) But I decided to take a pass on that one for now. Maybe sometime in the future uh, I'll do that one, okay? But I know that for some time they realized that they were on this trip with God, on this life-changing journey, and amazing grace was being infused into their very soul. It was like they were a steak being marinated in grace for day after day after day after day. And so when they were cut into and someone tasted their life, man, it was infused with God. God was infused into all that was going on in their life. A couple of years ago, a man named Randy Alcorn wrote a small book called The Treasure Principle. And it's a book that um, I had read a number of years ago and then reread, and there's a new edition out. The new edition looks a little bit more fall-like. It has these pumpkin colors on it for you who like that kind of thing. You want to lay it on a coffee table or whatever. But I was so intrigued with this book that last year we started to give it out to anybody who would do the four-month giving challenge. If you take the four-month giving challenge last year or this year, and I'll talk about that a little bit later on, we send you a free copy of this book to read over a four-month period, and then we send you four prompters that just have questions in it that say, hey, when you read the first section of the book, think about this. I wrote one, and some of the other pastors and staff who wrote them, and we send them out to you. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I was so intrigued with this book because he does a great job taking the whole of Scripture and boiling down what generosity looks like. What does generosity look like in our lives? And I'm the kind of person who, when I read a book, I do something called ransacking. How many of you know that ransacking is actually a type of reading? It's a type of reading when you read a book, um, and it's a bit of, it's, it's not totally cheating, but what you're doing is you're looking for the main topics when you ransack a book, and then you usually write a summary of it 
or somewhere in the book sometimes they will have the summary for you. He did this for you. It's on page 95 of the book. And on page 95, he gives the overall uh, idea of the book, theme of the book, and then he gives the axioms that come from Scripture from it. And the overall theme of the book is this. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. <laughs> like usually we stop with we can't take it with you, right? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. In other words, through your generosity and giving, you influence not only people here, but people getting into heaven someday through your generosity. Your generosity can be sent on ahead, and people's lives can be influenced through your generous life. So that's his whole big idea. And then he has these axioms, or these treasure principle keys. And the first one is, God owns everything, I'm just his money manager. God owns everything, I'm just his money manager. The second one is, my heart always goes where I put God's money. My heart always goes where I put God's money. The third one is this. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Okay? The fourth one is this. I should live not for the dot, which is today, but for the line, which is eternity. Okay? I shouldn't just live in the temporal. I should live with an eternal perspective. The next one is giving is the only antidote to materialism. The only way we can get over living in a materialistic lifestyle is to be someone who develops this pattern and habit and heart of giving. And the last one is God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Now, when I go through a book and I ransack it like that and I look at it, I do one other exercise. I look at the main themes of the book and I circle one of the themes of the book, either metaphorically in my mind or physically. In this book, I did it physically. I actually circled the theme there was a highlighter, and I thought, this first theme is a theme that God has given me some traction in. God has given me some victory in. The Holy Spirit's been working in my life in it. So it's a way of me noticing God's already at work in me and thanking God for working in me. Thank you, God, for working in me. It is an exercise in affirming that I'm listening to God in that area of my life. And so the one that I circled is, God owns everything. I'm just his money manager. That's one that I learned from being a small boy, and it's one that I not only uh, uh, get it, but I actually do it. I, I change priorities of my life. I change what I do with what God gives me. I look at people and resources, time, talent, and treasure as all from Him, and somehow I'm just the allocation manager of that, but I'm very involved in that allocation process, okay? So that's one. So the other thing I do when I do a book like this I circle one that I don't feel like I have much traction with. I circle one that I feel like I have a challenge with. And this is the one that I circled here. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. I struggle with that. I tend to be more American in the way I think about that than a citizen of heaven. Here's what I mean by that. It's just honest struggle I have. I don't sit and think, the next time God gives me something extra, I can't wait to allocate that to this need or to give it away to here. I have more of a tendency to think, I'm going to save up for this to buy this for me or my family. I just have more of a tendency to do that. I'm very influenced um, by my culture. And I just say that today to say to you, when at the end of the service, I'm going to challenge you to the four-month giving challenge, and I hope you all participate in it. 
And I hope that you'll all take this book and take the next four months to read through it devotionally and just sit with it with God. And do that exercise that I did. What's one area where, wow, God's given me traction? And what's one area where, wow, I need a change in the way that I think? I need to change in the way that I think. That God doesn't prosper me to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving and giving away to other people and being a blessing in this world. So I challenge you, and we'll talk a little bit later on about the four months giving challenge, to do that. Do that exercise when you're reading. That's just something that I learned from a mentor that they taught me how to do that. It really helps you when you're reading something, not just to read it and put it on a shelf, but read it and integrate it into your life and take some time uh, to sit with it, um, as it were. One of the Psalms that I like the most is Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. And it goes something like this. I want you just to sit for a moment, and I want you to hear it. It's a confession, as it were, from the Bible, but it's a confession that we all need to say. And, and whenever we say it, I think it makes me feel healthy. It makes me feel strong. It makes me feel that the priorities are straight and that my vision is clear. I want you to listen to it. Listen to the words of Psalm 24, 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all those who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. Now close your eyes, put your chin on your chest, try to stay awake, and let me read it to you again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it for he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters something about saying that truth out loud that gives us freedom freedom the earth is the Lord I'm the Lord's everything I have is the Lord's so I just want us to recite it one time out loud together starting with the earth is the Lord's let's just say it out one loud one time together as a transition the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it for he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. It's good for us to stop and take stock every once in a while that in the rush of life and in the messages that we get to be in control and in charge that the earth is the Lord's and I am his. And to freely say to him, I surrender to you again. I'm all yours, Lord. I'm all yours. Come bathe me, soak me, marinate me, infuse me with your amazing grace, just one more time. So God's generosity not only influences us, but we see from this passage, God's generosity empowers us. It is empowering to us. God's generosity not only pays the debt and paves the way from earth to heaven, his generous nature continues as he pours out his amazing grace only, not only in us, but also through us. Amazing grace was something that was happening. Now, I, I, can't, I can't explain how this works, 
but there were some, and it's probably not as mechanistic as this, as I'm saying, but there was some triggering effect of their generosity and God's grace being showered from heaven. There's some connection when we, as a people of God, are a generous people in our heart and with our soul and with our mind and with our strength, it triggers something in the heavens that releases amazing grace not only to us but out to our church and out to our community and out to our world. There is some reflection of God that comes through generosity that can't happen when it doesn't happen. Now that being said, I say that because I see this in this passage of Scripture. I can extrapolate that. I can see that. But I don't know exactly how it works. But here's what it looked like for them. It says, The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Underline God's great blessing. God's great blessing. I'm going to circle back to that in just a minute. And then in Acts 4.33 it said, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace, underlying God's grace, was so powerfully at work in them all. Those two phrases, God's great blessing and God's grace, come from the same word in the original text of the New Testament Scripture. Which, when translated into our language, is the word grace, or amazing, extravagant, overwhelming grace. Okay? So in both cases, God's grace here is being experienced by the believers, but it's pouring out over into the non-believers, and it's triggered through the generosity of the church when they were generous. God's grace was powerfully, it says, at work in them all. In the early church, they were indeed born again. They were born again of the Father. They were born again by the Spirit. They were born again through their faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. And because they were born again, the DNA of their Heavenly Father was now flowing through their veins. And so they looked like Him. When you come from a family, you look like the family you're from. Not too long ago, uh, my brothers and sisters were looking through pictures of my grandparents' family. And you could pick out my grandfather from when he was a little boy the whole way up to his adult years. You could pick him out. And you could see when he stood next to his brothers, Grove and, and his other brothers there, that he looked, they looked so similar. There was a family resemblance. The DNA was just remarkable. And that's the way it is when we come to Christ. God begins to infuse his DNA, his amazing grace, into us. And it changes the way that we live and the way that we treat relationships and the way that we treat our resources and the way we treat our neighbors and the way we treat each other in church and the way we treat our community and the way we think about our world and the way that we live for not just the dot, but we live for the line, we live for eternity. It changes. Amazing grace rocks our world. It changes everything. Jeremy, who uh, you've heard uh, sing, I think, earlier and plays the keyboard up your keys from your time to time, his sign-off on his emails are this, may God rock your world today. I like that. 
Because when I'm reading Jeremy's emails, I'm reading down through it, I'm catching up with him, something, all of a sudden again, may God rock your world today with amazing grace. If anything's going to rock us, if anything's going to change us, cause spiritual muscle confusion so we start to live differently, it's going to be an infusion of amazing grace in us, on us, and through us. Our big idea today is this. God's generosity influences us and it empowers us to be an expression of God's generous nature together. In the early church, they were this expression of God's generosity together. It was happening. It was going on. Amazing grace was happening inside the church and spilling out over the walls of the church and out to the community. Last fall, we began giving all of you the opportunity to express the generous nature of God by extending you something called the four-month giving challenge. I want you to pull the four-month giving challenge card out right now. I'm going to talk to you about it for just a moment. Last fall, I think it was over 150 people took the challenge, and because you took the challenge, lives were changed last year. You saw a video a couple of weeks ago about how we minister to over 200 families every month who are in need. That's because people give generously to that. You saw how two single moms, one was able to get a job and get back on her feet, have a place to live and have her kids. That's because of your generosity and your goodness. That's because people took the challenge and followed up. That's because generosity and God's generous grace started to flow through you, and I want to commend that. But I want to just go over you with this challenge this morning because I'd like to give this challenge to our whole church family. And over the next three weeks, see all of us, as many of us as possible, participate in this. Whether you're already a giver or you're someone who hasn't given yet and you're just getting started in giving and you're somewhere, or you're somewhere in between. And I want to talk to you just for, about it for a couple minutes. So look down at the card. At the top of it, it says, Generosity is a demonstration of obedient trust by giving. This is our definition of generosity and giving that we see in Scripture. Generosity is a demonstration of obedient trust by giving proportionately, systematically, and cheerfully back to God so that you are reflecting his generous nature. That's the outcome. That's the goal. Okay? The goal isn't the, uh, the amount that you're giving or equal gifts or let's trace this or let's do that or let's check. No, the goal is that you will become somebody who expresses the generous nature of a generous God through your giving and through your lifestyle of giving. Okay? So this definition is biblical, but it's inspiring and it's challenging. It challenges us. And I would ask you to take some time over the next couple weeks to sit with, if you have a spouse, to sit with your spouse and talk to them about this. What are we going to do? How are we going to be expression of giving? You know, I want this to be a spiritual exercise for you. Some of you will know this morning, you'll be able to pretty quickly fill out the card and turn it in, and it will be a spiritual exercise for you because you've been thinking about this. This has been on your mind for some time, and this is the follow-up step for you. Some of you will need till next week or the following week to do that in order to take the time to sit with God. Just as you would take the time to sit with God about having a baby or not. Just as time you would sit with God to learn how to read the Bible or pray. Just as you would sit with God with any other decision in your life, take some time to sit with God. It's a spiritual exercise to help you learn how to let his, let his amazing grace in and let it back out through your generosity. So I've developed this simple tool called this four-month giving challenge, and I've also 
But you might say, well, how do I get there? How do I process that? So I did make a process tool that I teach in the journey class. So now you're morphing into the journey class. If you were journey class, this would be, in, uh, I think the next the last week, uh, we would be in the journey class, and I would be teaching this lesson of generosity, okay? And on the journey plan on the back of it, there are three circles. I call this the three pie paradigm because I like pie. Everything I look at looks like pie to me. It's like a whoopie pie or a pie, okay? Maybe you can call it the three whoopie pie paradigm if you want to, okay? And on the far right is the goal. The goal is, this is where I would ultimately like to be with generosity in my life. This is blue sky, do it. If today you had all the resources that you had at your hand and you could give them away to bless as many people as possible, what would you do? Okay? You can write in the, write in the pie there what you would do, who you would give it to. And then, and then just look at the whole pie and say, about how much of my resources would that make up? Would it be 25%? Would it be 10%? Would it be 50%? Would it be 90%? Would it be 100 What would it, would it be? What, if I got the dream, if I just got to be crazy mad about giving away things today and blessing people all over the world, what would I do? That, that's your goal, okay? That's going to look different for every person, okay, given your background. And then you have to jump back to the first pie, and the first pie is now. Now is, so that's the ideal. Now is the real, Real is, this is what I'm giving right now. This is what I give away to my church. This is what I give away to other charities. This is what I give away to support a compassion child. This is what I do to give, you know, whatever it is. And tally that up and then make a chunk of the pie. Is that 10%, 5%, 2%, 1%, 12%, 15 What is it? So you know where you are. You know where you're headed and you know where you are. But how do you take a next step? And so over that middle pie... I just want you to, in your mind, lay down this road trip card, the four-month giving challenge. Because the four-month giving challenge says, what are you going to do next to get from where you are now to where you dream about being in your future? Just take a next step. Make a commitment together and see the power of your church family welling up into generosity and see what God does in our church, in our community, in our region, in our world. When we say with one voice, this is my Father's world, and I totally am abandoned in giving my resources to Him. And I ask for Him to give me an allocation plan for how to do that. Now, I want to tell you, for some of you what it means is that you're just getting started. Some of you say, I'm just getting started, I'm going to make a start, I'm going to do it for four months. Let's see what God does. For some of you, it means that you're going to make an increase. You're going to increase what you're giving. And for some of you, you're going to say, you know what? I'm, I'm in a holding pattern right now. God has told me to give this. I'm good with it, but I'm committing to that. I'm committing to that with my church family. This is right where I am. But for all of us, it means this. It means making a commitment to being continually influenced by God and empowered by Him together to be a generous church family. And if you'll do that, what we'll do, if you'll, if you'll take the time in the next three weeks, fill this out, turn it in, here's what I will do for you. We'll send you a free copy of the Treasure Principle book, and then each month for the next four months, we'll send you our email prompter saying, you should have read this, and here's some things to think about as you read that. Then the next month, the next thing, and the same thing, okay? To help you track, not only with just your physical giving but what's going on in your soul as far as giving goes, okay? 
So we'll do that. We'll send you the book, we'll send you the prompters, and we'll pray for you. I'm going to ask for our prayer partners to pray over the people who make this commitment that God works and moves in their life. Every Tuesday, our prayer partners get together. I didn't ask him permission to do this. Jolene's sitting in back, and she's in charge of them, and I'm sure she's going to give me permission to do this with the prayer partners. And uh, the prayer partners will love to pray for you. They love to pray for our church family. And I'll also have our elders who pray once a month over our church family. We have four meetings, and one of those meetings, we just pray just for your church family. We will pray for you to experience success and generosity, letting God's generous nature flow through you. So if you do that, I will do those three things. I will help you in your journey. Send you the book, send you the prompters, pray for you. And see, and we'll see what God does in our church family over the next four months. Some of you are saying, though, that you want to remain anonymous, and I understand that. I've had times in my own spiritual life where I needed to do things that were anonymous. that didn't have my name attached to them. So if you'll take the commitment and not put your name on it, that's fine. I understand that. We won't be able to send you the book because we won't know who you are or the prompters. And we won't have an anonymous prayer request list because we can't do that. But you could go back to our resource center and buy the book for yourself and take it home. I do understand that, believe me. There have been times in my own life where I've needed to make an anonymous commitment. But I'm giving you the tool to follow through with it. Because sometimes in my life I wanted to make that anonymous commitment and I never did it because I didn't have the tool to follow through. So I'm challenging all of us. This is something that all of our elders have agreed to do. All of our staff have agreed to do. I just talked to them about it this past Friday with joy. Not because I was withholding a paycheck from them because if they didn't do it. With joy, they all said, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be an example. I want to be part of it. I want to be the, with the power of everyone. We want to be a spiritual family who is generous together. So I'm challenging you, just as I challenged you a couple weeks ago to, to engage in your daily office with God, a rhythm of reading His Word and returning to it. Just as I challenged you to take some Sabbath rest, just as I challenged you in the areas of getting called out companions and following them, Pastor Rick did a great job with that that week. Just as we have challenged you, I challenge you to make this a developmental step with your soul before God and with your church family. That is the power of being on a road trip together with Jesus being our leader and our guide and our source. When I was a young boy, my father allocated one dollar to me as allowance that he doled out every Sunday morning. As I would descend the stairs from the upstairs and come down, I usually would not see my parents because they volunteered in our church family just down the street a block away. But on the table, prominently on the kitchen table, I would see a stack of coins. And I knew that if I had done my chores that week, which were usually listed on the refrigerator, that I would get my dollar that week. Now, to many of you saying, a dollar, wow, your parents are really extravagant. Well, I am 52 years old. The dollar was worth a little bit more back then. Okay? But I would come down, and my dad systematically stacked up the dollar in this way. First, he would one, have one stack of three quarters. Three quarters were the first stack that were there. That was 75 cents out of the dollar was sitting right there. And to this day, I love quarters because they were the biggest ones. They were worth the most, so I liked the quarters. So I'd see that stack of quarters sitting there, 
And right next to the stack of quarters, there was a shorter stack. And it, was, it had a nickel underneath and a dime on the top, okay? And so if you count that all up, that's 90 cents. But then right next to it, in a very conspicuous way, he would stack 10 copper pennies up. And the 10 copper pennies were not worth as much as the other, but they raised a little bit higher. They shined a little bit more. I don't know, maybe he cleaned them down with vinegar before he put them there just to catch my eye. And he told me, Joel, you can do anything that you want with that 90 cents. You can buy candy bars. You can save it up for Christmas gifts. You can do whatever. He would say, I, I would suggest that you put some of it in your piggy bank. And I didn't have a cool, tatted piggy bank like this back then. But now I do. And this sits by my bed. And I still put coins in there. And it reminds me to be a saver. I'm not really good at saving, so it reminds me. It's there all the time. That saving is part of saving up and giving away is part of, you know, what God does in our life. But what he would tell me is you can take those, those ten pennies and you give them away today. You take them down and you give them to the Sunday school offering. You can give them to, we had missions banks, just like our kids do. And over here in All Stars, a missions bank in each one. You can give to the missionaries and support missions around the world. You can stop by. We had a place in our church that was called just the Caring Bank or whatever, and it took care of care needs. You can stop by and give a couple pennies to the ladies at the Caring Bank. They'll buy some food with that and help some people in the community. You can even save some of that for big offering if you want. And when the plate comes around, you'll have something to put in the offering. But he taught me that, and he modeled that for me, because he wanted me to remember this. The whole dollar came from God. The whole dollar came from God. But when I gave back 10%, I was returning to God and remembering that he was my supplier of everything I needed. Now, over the years, I'd forgotten about that. I walked away from the church, and it was in my young 20s that I came back to the Lord. But it wasn't long before I returned into the doors of the church and to the community of fellowship and prayed a prayer of faith to accept Christ as my own Savior and Lord, that I noticed how generous God was being to me. And I returned to an old teaching that my father taught me as a young boy each Sunday. Keep nine, give one back to God. Because it always reminds me the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All of us who dwell in it, all that he made, he established it on the oceans. He set it up on the waters. And I'm never more fulfilled and I'm never more like God than when I'm generous like he is and I give back to his work in this world. And so my, God, my dad taught me that generosity is not just something for me that my generosity can be a witness to the world about God and his love for me. And I think of the little song that I sang in Sunday school, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Are you going to let it shine? Are you going to let generosity grow in you? Are you going to take steps to grow in the grace of giving? I hope so. I pray so. I challenge you. I implore you. I exhort you. Grow in the grace of giving. 
Take in amazing grace. Become like the Father. And let's see it change our world. As Jeremy's sign-off would say, may God rock your world today. Let's talk to God together in prayer. Lord, we want to learn how to be generous like you. We want to learn how to live our life not with clenched hands, but with open hands. To humbly receive all that comes from you. And then to disperse wisely all the resources that you have entrusted to us. We want to become like Jesus. Humble servants, sacrificial servants, generous servants. We want to reflect the Father's generous nature, and in doing so, we want to help other people discover this life-changing journey with you. We lift ourselves up. Thanks for giving us great patterns in Scripture and reminders and word pictures and people and examples and testimonies of people who have been generous down through the ages so we can follow in their footsteps and mostly, Jesus, we can follow in yours becoming like you on the road trip of a lifetime. Generous like our God. Generous like our God. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to pull out your response card, and maybe for some of you this morning, the four-month challenge is your response card. I don't know that. Only you know that. But I ask you to pull out your white response card right now. And take some time to respond. Maybe you just want to write down there a prayer request or a personal reflection that you've had. But during this song, record what God has said to you. Also, if you have things that need to be prayed for, please feel free to write them on the back of the card and our prayer partners will pray for those needs this week.